0: Thank you, Brother Nolan and Lisa. All right, Proverbs chapter number 14. We got started in this chapter last week and uh, got down through verse number 5. There's so many of the different verses in Proverbs that uh, it, it... you know, you just have to you just have to goad yourself to go on, get on to something else. You know, because there's so much that could be said about it. And I just as opened up my Bible, and we're not going to get there tonight, uh, I don't think. I'm almost positive, but verse 14. Uh, wow, that there is so much in that verse uh, that we, we could easily spend the entire evening just on that. And and I say that because there's a lot of these other verses that we could as well, uh, but, you know, I I think it might be counterproductive to what, you know, we're trying to accomplish here uh, in our study on Wednesday nights. Uh, so verse number 6 is where we pick up tonight. There is no outline, just uh, we're going to take it as it was given here in the Word of God. A scorner seeketh wisdom, and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. Now, you know, whenever we look at this verse, uh, immediately, it, to my mind, I know that it raises some some questions because in the first place here, it, it just seems a bit odd that a scorner would even seek Wisdom at all, but but evidently some do. I mean, that's that's what he's telling us here. There are scorners who actually uh, seek wisdom, at least to some extent, and a wisdom of some sort. Uh, uh, and 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 then, of course, the Bible says, "If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, that he gives liberally and upbraideth not." So wait a minute. God says we can find wisdom if we search for it, but. But here it says, a scorner seeketh wisdom and finds it not. So why is it that their search is in vain? Well, the answer obviously lies in the nature of a scorner. Here is a person that is smart enough to realize his need for wisdom and yet his attitude prevents him from getting it. I, look, you don't have to have a college degree or the IQ of a genius to realize that to be a successful farmer, to be a success at almost anything in life, you you need a certain amount of wisdom. Uh, and, and so there are a lot of people out there, even unsaved people, that realize that in and of themselves they don 't have everything they need, and from some outside source somewhere they need something they don 't have that would uh, propel them to a greater degree of success but But here these scorners are searching after wisdom, and the Lord says they, they can't find it. Well, really the reason is easy. When you think about their nature as it's described in the Bible, there's a lot said about it. And when you think about wisdom and God giving wisdom, the Bible tells us that wisdom comes to those who are meek. The wisdom comes to those who fear the Lord, so if a person uh, doesn't, you know, have a spirit of humility, and if they're not uh, reverencing God by their manner of life, they're not going to gain the wisdom that God would have given them. And so uh, his conceit, his selfishness, his, his dishonesty, his frivolousness, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that, that aspect of his nature keeps him from getting the very thing that would make him truly a success in life. But but notice the next class of people here in the same verse, but different class of people. He says, But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. And I, I can't help but ask myself, Well, why is that so? I mean, wh- how is it that knowledge is easy uh, to those that, that understandeth, uh, well, do, you know, does, it, does that mean they study more? Does that mean, you know, they apply themselves to a greater extent or whatever? Well, you know, the Bible gives us the answer, and this is a message all to itself. But if you just stay in the book of Proverbs and, and you, you, you consider uh, the wise man in the book of Proverbs, the man of understanding... And here, let me just give you a little short list. Proverbs 1 and verse number 5 says, A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Well, you know, that's why he gains knowledge. That's why knowledge is easy. Why? Well, because notice he attains unto wise counsels. He's willing to listen to people, willing to listen and learn. He doesn't think that he knows it all. Proverbs 2, verse 6 and 7 tells us there that it's because he walks uprightly, uh, you know, and uh, whenever, whenever, you know, God takes notice of the fact of the manner in which we're living and he sees that we're going to put our knowledge to good use, why uh, God enables us to learn even more. Chapter 11, verse 12 says, He holdeth his peace. That means this guy's not a troublemaker. He's not, you know, he's not one of the scorners. Uh, but rather he's somebody that holdeth his peace. Chapter 14, verse 29 says that he is slow to wrath. Chapter 17, verse 27 says he has an excellent spirit. Isn't that a great way to describe somebody? You know, he has an excellent spirit. You know, so many times somebody say, well, do, do you you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I know them. They, I used to work with them or I went to school with them or, you know, whatever it is. And it would just be great if somebody could say, you know, boy, th- th- that person just has an excellent spirit about them. And that that ought to be said of all of us. And this is one reason that knowledge is easy to these people. But the really, the one that just is the capstone of all of it, is in chapter 1 and verse number 7 where it tells us that he fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I mean, without that reverence for God, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to get wisdom. We're not going to get knowledge. Now, verse number 7, y'all forgive me, I've uh, allergies or something... Uh, Run out of Zyrtec, and uh, what? Anyway, I'm having uh, real trouble with some drainage tonight. So, verse, verse 7. Go from the the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Uh, you know, this verse is one of the many examples found in the Bible uh where we run into problems by the modern versions for example and 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 you know we have people ask us you know wh- why it is that we just use the king james version of the bible well the revised version and, and I'm quoting now what this this is how it reads from the revised version it says go into the presence of a foolish man really I mean, this is just the opposite of what the King James version of the Bible says. You know, the the New Modern version says go into the presence of a foolish man, and you know the version that we use said don't do it. Now it must be a confusing world to people whenever they you know they go to one church down the road and the pastor gets up and and let's let's just suppose that he's preaching from this verse and says, you know, go into the presence of a foolish man. That's what he says. And so they come down here the next week and it so happens that I'm preaching from that verse, only I read it out of this. And so here you've got the same verse of Scripture uh, that's saying exactly the opposite of what the other one does. Well, both of them can't be right. And, And, you know, and that is the whole point. And if we buy into this nonsense of, 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 and, and by the way, and this is, again, part of the problem is that a lot of people haven't studied and they don't know and don't realize. All of these modern versions, I mean, all the way, I don't care what you call it, good news for a modern man, the NIV or whatever, all of these are based on the same basic Greek manuscripts rather than the manuscripts that the King James Version was based on. And if they've got it right and the King James Version is wrong, then we had no accurate copy of the Bible all during this time until these these people come along and told us where we could really find it. And yet we've got people, you know, they get all bent out of shape because we don't want to go down there to that Lakeway Baptist Church. They're so old-fashioned. All they use is a King James Version of the Bible. Well, look, this this is this is just one reason, and there are literally hundreds of reasons uh, why we use it, but this is just one reason. They cannot both be right. And if I can't believe one part of the Bible, I can't trust any part of the Bible. I mean, if you can find one mistake anywhere in the Word of God other than a typographical error or something of that nature, uh then, then I, I couldn't trust any of it. Now, I'm so glad that whenever I stand up and open this old King James Version of the Bible that I can look out on the congregation and know of a certainty that when I read it, they're hearing the truth. And we don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to wonder about it. That's just the way it is. So... We're going to stick with what it says here. Go from the presence of a foolish uh, man. This is an injunction to avoid foolish company. And, uh, wow, if we could get that across to our kids when they're growing up. If only we had listened, uh, you know, when we were growing up. Wow, you know, I I sure don't want to (laughs) blame all of my faults on the... (laughs) on the bad company that I run around with but I'll tell you one thing the bad company I run around with back then didn't help me any I'll put it that way here and so this is really though the same thought as what is stated when it says that we're cast not your pearls before swine remember he's just been talking about the scorner and here he's talking about the foolish man and uh, so whenever it talks about not casting your pearls, that is, your precious spiritual truths. Don't cast them before the swine. Why? Because they'll just trample them underfoot in the mud and the mire. And so it's the same idea here that we are to leave the company of those that are, that are going to do that. Now, don't misunderstand this. It does not mean that we are to have this attitude that we are holier than thou, and we go through life holding the world at arm's length. You know, as we're, though we're better than they are. That's not what it's teaching us here. It's just simply telling us that we are to stay away from those that are irreverent, those that think they know it all, those that want to argue, those want to that want to speak disparagingly of the Word of God, and and the point is. Don't give them a platform to do that, because that's all they're looking for. It might be in the break room at work. It might be in the cafeteria at school. It might be on the football field or wherever it is. There are some people out there that are just looking for you to give them a platform in order to, to spew all of their stupid ideas out and, and, to, and to argue with you about whatever it, you know it is. It's so amazing you'll see something, um, might be an email, it might be on Facebook, but uh, let's say it's on Facebook, and you'll see the comments after that. And, and, and sometimes, and I, I saw one today, and I started to comment on the comment, and I thought, that ain't going to do any good. Just go on and forget it, you know, because there are some people that I'm telling you uh they are so far out there that they, they, they don't have a clue. Have you, you ever watch some of these things, these uh, uh, political things where the man on the street's taking a poll, you know, and like, you know, if you, who's the vice president and, or, you know, who, who was our first president or, you know, whatever. The, these real simple questions and what have you. And it's unbelievable that some of these people that vote, you know, are out there and, and they don't have a clue what's going on in the world today. Look, that's, that's the kind of people that you're arguing with a lot of times whenever it comes to the Bible. And and so the subject of the Bible comes up and automatically they inject their two cents in it. That You know, it's so out there that it doesn't make any sense at all. But that's okay with them because they just want to argue about it. They want to make you sound stupid. They want to put you on the spot in some way. And they love it if they can back you in a corner in front of your co-workers. You know, like, well, if you're so smart, tell me where kings got his wife then you know and uh, well, just get away from that kind of junk you're not going to get anywhere you're not going to win those arguments and uh, speaking about this you know you can and uh, as you know the Bible repeatedly tells us that we can tell so much about a person about their character by the things that they they say and people that are bitter that are inconsiderate that are slanderous that's the kind of people that is better off left alone. You know people like that, don't you? You know people that, that were you to bring up the subject of religion in any form whatsoever, even the mention of the name of Christ, and you already know what their stock answer is going to be. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to be brainless. Just stay away. You're not going to win that argument. Verse 8, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Now, here in the first part of this verse, it's telling us the wise person will consider his ways. In other words, he considers where a path leads before he takes the first step. You know, that's good advice, Uh, if you if you've done much hunting especially out in hilly country and what have you uh you know that it's if you're not familiar with the area it's real easy to get lost it's good to have a Landmark, And and I can remember as, as a boy on more than one occasion shinning up a tree to where I could get up and look out to where I could see something and get my bearings again and know which way I'm going. Because you can walk all day in the wrong direction, and regardless of how much effort you put forth, you're going to end up in the wrong place. So in all of life, whatever it is, if we're wise, we're going to consider where a path leads before we ever Take the first step and waste our energy. Well, you know, today when we think about people, and you often hear uh, people use the phrase, you know, that guy knows where he's going, he knows where he's going. And, and and that's good. That's the way it ought to be. Whenever you see young people, for example, that's got some goals, and they, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to graduate at the head of my class. I'm going to college. I, I'm working trying to get this scholarship, and they, they know where they're going. They're working toward a goal instead of just, you know, getting up in the morning and waiting to see what, what in the world happens. They intend to make something positive happen you see and so it's important that we do that wisdom enables us to do that and we don't waste our life wandering aimlessly around but we walk in the proper path and boy that spares you a lot of heartache now on the other hand here's the flip side of the coin notice what he says here he says uh, uh, but the folly of fools is deceit in other words the deception of of fools is folly well boy just whenever i read that automatically and i think of folly several different names you know come to my mind i i think of Jehazi, who was elijah's servant and his folly uh, you you know the story name, name the 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 uh, the leper had... had <laughs> Had been healed, and uh, of course, you know, he he wanted to show his appreciation, so he wanted to give Elijah something. And he said, "No, I'm not going to take it." But oh Gehazi, he's watching all of this naturally, and so he he thinks, you know, I, I'll go I'll go chase his caravan back down or whatever, and I, I, I can get something out of this. And he comes back, you know, and of course, Elijah, by the enablement of the Lord, knows exactly what's going on, and. He ask him how everything is, oh, everything's fine, everything's great, you know, and so here he's trying to pull a fast one, it ends up uh, making him a leper, and, and it's such a sad story to think about him being cursed with leprosy, all because of his folly, and then we think about the accusers of Daniel, taking in their own craftiness, but maybe the story of Haman is maybe my favorite of the bad examples. Who was hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai? I mean, here, here's a man that conjured up some wild story about Mordecai wanting to overthrow the kingdom and so forth, and uh, None of it was true, and Esther goes in, you know, and she's trying to, she's trying to settle the king down, and so forth. And uh, well, you know the story, and but he ends up uh, hanging from the very gallows that he had made for Mordecai. And by the way, kind of like the proverb that talks about whenever we go to roll a stone down upon someone else's head. It's liable to roll back upon our own. And that's the way folly is. We always end up getting hurt. Now, verse number 9 says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Whenever we was we, talking about people that are, that are slanderous, and we've been talking about, you know, the people here that lack knowledge, the foolish man... And here we're talking about the folly of fools in verse number 8. And notice here he says, fools make a mock at sin. In other words, uh, to a fool, sin is just a joke. And in their mind, there's nothing serious about it. And they are laughing at the very things that offend and grieve the heart of God Joking about the very things is going to bring the wrath of God down upon their head, and they 're making jokes about it it 's so funny you hear that kind of nonsense you know on the on the radio, on the TV all of the time. People make some comments you know supposedly just tongue in cheek and trying to be funny, but it 's something that is a mockery to God, and uh, that light hearted attitude is absolutely everywhere and What a sad indictment that is. When we think about our nation in particular, where we print on our coins in God, we trust, and on that very on that very coin that you know that that has been stamped here in the United States of America, founded upon Christian principles and what have you, to turn around then and promote the very things that 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 call for the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. sin. That's what we're talking about, in whatever form it takes. And so on one hand, we say, you know, in a very frivolous way, in God we trust, and on the other hand, we slaughter the little innocent unborn and all of the other immorality that goes on. And uh, I don't know if you just put this in a... In a statement that everybody could understand, the point is sin ain't funny. Sin ain't funny. There's nothing funny about sin. It's serious with God. Now, the second half of the verse here teaches us that our what our society has forgotten that the highest honor in life is what? Well, it's to please the Lord. And notice what He says here: among the righteous there is Favor. And so we think about pleasing God and how we please God uh, and and, and it's through righteousness. Remember we already talked about the verse that says righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So you know, if we want (coughs) God's blessings, we have to respect his rules because don't forget this gaining his favor is the key to our security. It's not entering into treaties with nations that we can't <coughs> that we can't trust, but rather it's knowing that we're doing the things that are pleasing to God because we are never safe if we're sinful. Never safe if we're sinful. And the Bible bears that out repeatedly. Just you just look down in verse number thirty four. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but what? Well, sin is a reproach to any people. <clears throat> I'm going to try to make it just through one more verse tonight. Verse 10:
1: <clears throat> The
0: heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Now, both parts of this actually speak about things that can't really fully be shared or known. Uh, by other people. And here in the first instance, he's talking about sorrow. In the second, he's speaking about joy. I I copied down something many years ago, and I wish I had the name of the writer uh, so I could give him credit. I have no idea who wrote this. But it was in regards to what we're talking about here, not being able to fully share joy or sorrow with others. And this is what the writer Said, "'Neither our joys nor our sorrows can be wholly shared with another. "'No person stands in such intimate relation to us "'or can put himself so entirely in our place as to feel that which we feel. "'There is many a dark spot, many a grief, "'of which our best friend knows nothing.'" The skeleton is locked in the cupboard, and no one has the key but ourselves. Hmm. You know, there's some things that have to be experienced to be understood, and even then there are limitations because no two people are exactly alike. We can experience the same thing, but we are affected by it in different ways. That's like uh, maybe you've heard me say, uh, well, it was almost a draw. The scariest pain I ever had was the first time I had a gallbladder attack. 'Cause I thought it was a heart attack. I thought I was I thought I was dying. I was rolling around in the living room floor. It was like a knife going through here and another knife coming in from the backside and I bent I thought I was dying. And then later on I had a kidney stone and and it wasn't any fun. And so, you know, that's something you have to experience. You tell somebody, you oh, yeah, boy, I I, I had a kidney stone that just about killed me. And if they've never had one, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. But even whenever we think about having had a kidney stone, you know, somebody says, oh, yeah, I had one of those. And it it was a cakewalk for me. What, what, What wasn't all that bad? And, well... You know, different things affect us in different ways. And I've got a confession to make. For, for the first several years of my ministry, I was just way too hard-nosed about a, a lot of things. But one of the things, and a message I've made very clear to, without even coming out and saying it to my wife and to my kids... You better be might near dead if you're gonna miss church. I mean if if you can walk in there, crawl in there, you're going to be there one way or another. I had very little or no sympathy for other people. And uh well <laughs> experiences has a way <coughs> Of uh, changing our attitude about some of those things, and you know, I've, I've I think I've got to the point that when somebody tells me, you know, I'm sick, I don't feel good, my first thought is, you know, I believe you. If you're t- if you tell me that, I believe you, and. and I just don't think it's right for us to be so judgmental of other people. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, you say you've got a headache or whatever it is, and to be so judgmental, you don't know how they feel. You don't know what they're going through. And so because all of us deal with the same things in different ways, you've heard people say, Oh, I, I know how you feel. No, you don't. You don't. You can't. There's no way because we are all different, and uh, we in, in pain. For example, we all experience pain in different ways. There's some people that, for whatever reason, you know, uh, <laughs> I never forget sitting down there in that boat cutting that fish hook out of Brother Ron's hand, and and uh, he he handles pain real good. And boy, I going to tell you the very thought of even giving blood nearly freaks me out. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I hate needles. You know, some some people the needles don't bother them at all. You know, all deal with it different. So we just need to be more sympathetic with each other because I know I've been guilty of judging somebody for being backslidden when in reality, when reality they haven't been to church the last four or five weeks because. Wow, I didn't realize they were that sick. They're going to bury them tomorrow. Seriously, I didn't know that. And so we need to be more understanding. Let me let me let me give you something else, and I'm through. This is what somebody else uh, wrote. I, I've got to do better at giving credit to whoever wrote these things. Acute distress isolates a man. He cannot communicate what he feels, and it is an unkind thing to force counsel on others at a time when they know they cannot be understood, when the sympathy of silence is best. Now listen carefully to what this person says. To sit by our friend, to clasp his hand with loving pressure, to mingle our tears with his will be far more delicate and soothing than to attempt to charm ache with airs and agony with words. Wow, that is so well spoken. Well, we can't know how others are feeling, but here's the point. What do we do since no one else can understand what we're going through? Nobody else understands how we feel. What what do we do? Where do we go? How do we get help? Nobody else can understand. You can talk to your blue in the face and fall over and faint on the floor and and try to explain it, but they don't get it. They don't understand. They can't understand. The good news is there is somebody that does. And there, in in Hebrews chapter number four, and, and uh, I, let me just read some of these verses. You don't have to really even comment on these. I mean, it just lays it out there for us, and just so very, uh, very clear. I'd like to start way down in verse three. Uh, well, let's just look at verse twelve. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the, to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and the, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And neither is there any creature that is not manifest, that is revealed and known in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Well, in other words, he knows every single thing about us. Seen then... Boy, this is where it really gets good. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. There's somebody standing in the gap between you and God. A great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin and here it is let us therefore because of what he just said let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need what a what a wonderful thought because we've all have our times of need Our best friends, our spouse, our parents, our children, they don't understand. And even if they understood, most of the time they're powerless to help. I I, I remember saying to Bev today, I'm so sorry, I wish there's something that I could do and I can't. And, uh, the best I could do was to go in there and put on a pot of tea and brew some tea. And that, that's it's all, all I knew to do. But thank God there's one that we can go to that's able to help us. And, uh, all right, let's stand. Thank you, Lord. For saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation. So rich and free. Wow, aren't you glad it's free? Amen. Amen. Michael Mills, would you lead us in prayer tonight, please?